Happy long weekend. <laughs> Let's pray together. God, thanks for the opportunity to uh, worship you today, to gather in your name, to hear from your word, to um, engage with you in this um, process by which you give us life and renew our life and renew our strength. God, we come to you this morning and we lay ourselves and our hopes and dreams and convictions down before you, our relationships, our habits, our day-to-day, we, we lay it all down before you and we ask that you would enter in and permeate all that we are and change us from the inside out. In Christ's name, the people of God together said, Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, look on with a neighbor or grab your phone or your iPad. We actually have free Wi-Fi in the sanctuary now. It's just Bayview Wi-Fi. So you can hop on there so you're not using your data plan. Uh, There should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. If you want one of those, grab one of those. If you don't have a Bible at home, you can take that one. If you have a lot of Bibles at home, don't take that one. But if you don't have one, we'd like you to have a copy of the Scripture. So... We've been journeying through the the Gospel of John in a series called Believe, and we come to this moment in the Gospel of John where Jesus heals a man who has been paralyzed for 38 years. We'll read the text here in a minute. But I want you to know that in every case, Jesus' physical miracles uh, point to spiritual realities. Uh, Jesus even said when he healed the lame man that his four friends lowered him down from the ceiling. If you remember this, he says, so that you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin. I tell you, take up your mat and walk. Jesus is going to say the same thing to this man in John chapter 5. Take up your mat and walk. But Jesus wants us to know that his physical miracles point to spiritual realities. And so we see this man who has been crippled by a disease for a very long time that Jesus is about to heal. I want you to know that many of us in the room have also been crippled, spiritually speaking. We've also been hung up, spiritually speaking. We've also been immobile, spiritually speaking. And this man that we're going to encounter in John chapter 5, and then subsequently the Pharisees in the second part of the chapter, are sick as well. And they're sick with something that we're going to see here in a moment that most of us, in fact all of us, tend to be sick with at times. And so what we're going to see is the way that Jesus interacts and responds with those who are both physically immobile and physically crippled, but also those who have been crippled spiritually as well. So John chapter 5, verse 1 reads this way. John writes, after this, that this, by the way, is Jesus healing the official son at the end of chapter 4. You remember that? After this, and he was up in Galilee, it says there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So he's journeyed south to Jerusalem, but he's going up in altitude. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. A couple of things I want you to notice in these first three verses here. First is that Jesus is in Jerusalem during a feast of the Jews. We don't know what feast this is. It could have been Passover. It could have been Rosh Hashanah. It could have been any number of the major feasts of the Jews. But what we can note here is that Jesus' ministry in the book of John is now moving from private to public. Did you catch that? 
that in John chapter 2, Jesus performs a miracle at a private wedding. In John chapter 3, he has a private conversation with Nicodemus. In John chapter 4, he has a private conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well. At the end of chapter 4, even when he heals the official son, even though that miracle became public, eventually, initially, Jesus didn't go to the child. He said to the official, go back to your kid and your child is going to be healed. All of those things are done in private. This one is done in public, not just public, but there are a lot of people in Jerusalem during that feast of the Jews. Uh, Jerusalem would have been kind of packed to the hilt with folks, and Jesus is about to move into this public stage of his ministry, which is going to cause escalating conflict with the religious leaders, conflict that is consummated by his execution. Keep reading. Now, there is a in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. This particular area of Jerusalem has been excavated since then, and it's on the northeastern side of Jerusalem. We don't know why it's called the Sheep Gate. Maybe it's because sheep ran in and out of there. That would be a good guess, but we don't really know exactly why it was called the Sheep Gate back then. But we do know that it did have five roofed colonnades. In fact, uh, archaeologists would say that this was inaccurate for a very long time. They said this is inaccurate because there's no place in Jerusalem that has five roofed colonnades. Lo and behold, it's now excavated, and yes, indeed, there was was a place with five roofed colonnades. And there were two trapezoidal shaped pools that sat side by side just inside the sheep gate on the eastern, northeastern side of Jerusalem. And the trapezoidal pools had a single roofed colonnade or like a porch or a patio in between the two pools and then four more roofed patios that surrounded those two pools. Now that sounds like a place I'd want a vacation. I don't know about you. And during this feast of the Jews, a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, all gathered at these two pools. And we'll see why, here in a minute, why uh, those folks gathered at those pools. Keep reading. It says that, keep reading, next slide, please. One man was there uh, who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time. So the first thing that I, this is very interesting to me, but just kind of a side note, the first thing that Jesus does when he goes to Jerusalem is not go to the temple to hang out with religious leaders. He goes to find those who are hurting and sick and need a friend. So he shows up and he finds a man who has been paralyzed for 38 years, unable to walk for 38 years. And John says he's been there a long time. I guess 38 years constitutes a long time. We don't know why this man is unable to walk. He may have been born that way. He may have had an accident. He may have had a sickness or a disease. We don't know why. All we know is that for 38 years, he has been unable to walk. I don't know about you, but as we kind of parlay this physical miracle into spiritual realities, do you ever recognize that the longer you sit in your own brokenness, the more comfortable you get with it? The longer you sit in your own sin, the longer you live kind of a particular way and develop customs and habits around dysfunctionality and brokenness, the more that you get comfortable with it and the more difficult it is to kind of see your way out of it. I got a friend that was addicted to a substance for a really long time, ended up on the streets as a result of it. And he told me that after a time, he wasn't just addicted to the substance, but he was addicted to the lifestyle that came with the substance. He was addicted to actually living on the streets, not just the substance itself. 
And many of us have become that way in our financial life, in our relational life, in our spiritual life. We have so focused on ourselves and so been caught in our own brokenness and sin. And it's not just the sin anymore. It's all that comes along with it. And it has become extremely difficult, if not impossible, to see our own way out. Lucky we have Jesus who enters in. And listen to what Jesus says when he enters into this situation. He says, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Now let me ask you a question. If that were you, and you had not been able to walk for 38 years, and someone asked you, do you want to be healed? On three, answer the question. One, two, three. It's not difficult, is it? It is just not difficult. I always wonder why Jesus asks him this question. And we're going to see uh, here in a moment this man's response is a little bit interesting. But D.A. Carson, who is a Canadian uh, Bible scholar, is born in Montreal, Quebec, uh, writes this. He says, Jesus is establishing that the first step toward wholeness is a deep desire for it. See, the first step toward wholeness of any kind spiritual, emotional, physical, is a deep desire for it. If you don't want to get well, if you don't want to be healed, if you don't want wholeness, ain't nobody can really help you. I mean, some of us have been struggling with what the Puritans or reformers called besetting sins. Besetting sins. It's, it's that sin that you keep going back to, that sin that seems to own you, that sin that you go, you know what, I'm never going to do that again. And then three hours later, you're saying again, I'm never going to do that again. It's not the one that you commit occasionally. It's the one that's just kind of gripped you, besetting sins. I would ask you this morning, do you actually want to be healed from that besetting sin? Or have you grown so comfortable in it that you'd really rather not? Some of you are, are caught up in relational dysfunction. And it's hard for you to keep a friend because of the way you've been focused on yourself or because of the ways that you interact with people, because of the ways that you push people away. And it's far easier to just to blame other people for your own situation and circumstances. And I would ask you this morning, do you really want to get well? Do you want to be healed? Do you want Jesus to enter in? Because the first step toward wholeness of any kind is a deep desire for it. You gotta want it. See, that's where Jesus starts. Do you want to be healed? This man should have answered him, yes, I do, as a matter of fact. But he didn't. Look what he says. Keep reading. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Two things that I want to point out about this verse. One is this. He says, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. Most Bible scholars would agree that a superstition had arisen around Jerusalem, that these particular waters and these two trapezoidal pools on the northeastern side had some kind of healing power. There's other religions even now that believe that, that particular waters or particular areas or particular soil has a healing power. Apparently, 2,000 years ago, they felt the same way. This likely was it wasn't real, it likely wasn't reality, but it was a superstition, and so all of the blind and lame and paralyzed had gathered around these pools because they believed this superstition that had arisen around Jerusalem. 
And when he's asked if he wants to get healed, he says, sir, I have no one. And because this is a first come, first serve type of situation, I can't get into the pool fast enough, so somebody else makes it, and they get the healing power and not me. Another steps down before me. Now, you might read that and say, well, I mean, yeah, he's not able to walk. He can't get up and get into the water, but that's not exactly the tone of his response here. Let me read this response in a little bit of a different way. His response is this, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool. When the water is stirred up and while I'm going down, another steps down before me. I mean, this man has grown so self-focused and so self-interested. He's grown so comfortable with his own brokenness that he can't even have a normal interaction with somebody and simply say, yes. And you might think, Man, this is kind of a normal response, but again, D.A. Carson, who's a Canadian, who's very polite because he's Canadian, okay? This is what he writes about this man's response. Listen, he calls it the crotchety grumblings. (laughs) Is that not Canadian language, by the way? The crotchety grumblings of an old and not very perceptive man. That means stupid in Canadian. A not very perceptive man who thinks he's answering a stupid question. This is this man's response. He responds out of anger. He responds out of brokenness. He responds out of discontent. He responds out of self-centeredness and self-absorption. In other words, for this man, it is all about me, myself, and I. He is completely self-focused. Have you recognized we live in a culture that's a little bit self-focused? Has that ever crossed your mind? People are most interested in themselves. Let me prove it to you. You ever been on the 404 going south? And and where the 401 and the 404 meet? You know where I'm talking about? And everybody knows that the traffic is converging. And there is one of two lanes that you're supposed to be in. And because you are so focused on me, myself, and I, you... By yourself, in a smart car, get in the carpool lane and pass everybody. Why? Because it's all about you, isn't it? Me, myself, and I. I'm the guy that pulls out in the lane, by the way. When people are using like the, you know, the carpool lane, I just stop them. Because it's all about me, myself, and I just pull out and just get in their way and wave. <laughs> Jesus loves you. Man, we love ourselves. We love ourselves so much that we've created entire websites dedicated to ourselves. They're called Facebook and Instagram. (laughs) We love ourselves so much that we added a word to the dictionary in 2013. You know what it is? Selfie. And when we got so tired we couldn't take a picture of ourselves, we invented something called a selfie stick. To make it easier to take pictures of ourselves. We love ourselves and we get so self-focused. And this self-focus takes different types of, you know, kind of, it manifests itself in different ways. It can manifest itself in complaining. We live in a society of complainers. We complain about everything. I mean, I hear people complain, I was stuck on the tarmac for 30 minutes. I mean, it was, it was hard. It ruined my day. Okay, so let me ask you this. You're you're on a flight from New York to Los Angeles, which that journey used to take you 30 years. You understand that, right? 
like New York to Los Angeles. And, and by the time you got to Los Angeles, you would have had like people die, you know, and you just bury them on the side of the, you know, path by the stagecoach and like keep going, right? Like that used to take you 30 years. And instead, you are going to sit in a chair and go up in the sky. And two hours later or four hours or whatever it is, land in Los Angeles and you're complaining because you got to be on a tarmac for 30 minutes. Cool, cool. That's because it's all about me, myself, and I. Or even self-absorption and self-harm or narcissistic personality disorder or victim mentality. These are all results of a total and complete addiction to self. Look at what John Gardner writes. Uh, he he, he uh, served in the Lyndon Johnson presidential administration. He said, self-pity is easily the most destructive of the non-pharmaceutical narcotics. <laughs> I like that. Self-pity is easily the most addictive of the non-pharmaceutical narcotics. It's addictive. Mm. Gives momentary pleasure and separates the victim from reality. See, this is exactly what's happening to this individual at the pool of Bethesda. He is addicted to himself just as we are addicted to self. We're just addicted to ourselves. And some of us need healing from a physical ailment, and that's true. And at the end of the service, we're going to have an opportunity for you to even come forward, and we're going to pray over you for that healing that you desire from a physical ailment. But some of us need healing from a spiritual ailment or a relational ailment, and a lot of that ailment stems from the same, or the ailment is the same ailment that this individual at the pool of Bethesda is struggling with. He is totally focused on himself. And it manifests itself in his conversations and his actions, even following the healing. Look what happens. Next slide, please. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your mat and walk. And at once the man was healed. He took up his bed and walked. That's awesome. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath, it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. What you're doing is not legal. We'll talk about this in more detail here in a minute. What you're doing is not legal. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. What's he doing? He's not taking any responsibility, but he's blaming Jesus for his problem. You see it? He's prioritizing blame over responsibility. You can click to that next slide because that's what it says. Isn't that interesting? Blame over responsibility. Instead of taking on responsibility, because if I got healed from something, especially if I hadn't been able to walk for 38 years and someone healed me and, you know, the Pharisees, the religious leaders came to me and said, hey, it's not lawful for you to be carrying your mat and walking around. I would say, go suck an egg. Like, like, I, like I just got healed after 38 years. I'm going to carry my bed wherever I want to carry my bed. But this man doesn't say that. He says, well, that man, that man that healed me, it's his fault. Does this sound familiar? It's, that, it's, not, it's not me. It's not me. It's that woman you gave to me. Does that sound familiar? It's not me. It's not me, it's that serpent that tempted me. It, you know, it's, it's not me, it's not me, it's my ex. It's really my ex, that was the, that, that's, that's the problem. Well, it's not me that got myself into this financial situation, it's my financial advisor, that's, that's the problem, that's the problem. 
Man, we live in a society that is so addicted to self that we cannot take responsibility for our own actions. We cannot take responsibility for our own actions. So here's my point of application this morning. They've already put it up here on the screen. Just simply take responsibility for your actions and their consequences. You got to take responsibility in order to get up out of self-absorption, in order to get up out of narcissism, in order to get up out of self-pity that, listen closely, is going to cripple you spiritually just as much as a disease or whatever this man was struggling with physically had crippled him. Self-focus, self-worship, let's call it what it is will cripple you, and so you have to take responsibility for your actions and their consequences. Let me give you an example. A lot of times, let's, let's, talk about, let's, let's talk about marriage. We just talked about marriage. Let's talk about marriage. A lot of times when people go through the healing process after a marriage dissolves and after a divorce uh, happens, one of the first kind of checkpoints along the way that they come to, and this is a really great place to be, is to say, you know what? I contributed in some way, shape, or form. I contributed. Even if there was infidelity in your marriage, even if there's things crazy going on, you know, all it takes two to tango. It takes two to tango. So at least I can say I can take some responsibility for the lack of health in my marriage. That's a really good place to be. That's an awesome thing. That's a great step towards healing and towards getting back on your feet, spiritual, spiritually, relationally, in all these ways. But you've got to take responsibility not just for the action, but for the consequences of the action. So, are you having a custody battle with your kids? That's not your ex-spouse's fault, and that's not even the divorce's fault. That's a responsibility that you've got to take, because you take responsibility for the consequences, not just the action. Are you going through very, very difficult financial times as a result of your divorce. It's the consequence of the action. You got to take responsibility for that too. Don't blame. Don't say it was that man, it was that spouse, it was that person, it was that other thing. That it, that, the, the responsibility uh, for these consequences, the responsibility for this situation, it lays on them. No, 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 no. It's on me. It's on me. And I can do something about it. And let me be honest with you, I know that that's uncomfortable, and I know that it's hard. This is why we get addicted to self-absorption. We get addicted to deflecting responsibility. It's easy not to have any responsibility, isn't it? It's easy not to have to own actions or own the consequences of our actions. It's easy to be right all the time. <laughs> but that's why we get addicted. You've got to take responsibility for, their action, for your actions and... Their consequences. We're going to have an opportunity, as I mentioned, for people who have a physical ailment to come forward and pray at the end of our service. But we're also going to have an opportunity for those who are struggling spiritually or relationally to come forward and receive prayer after the service. In that moment, it's going to be very, very tempting to say, you know what? These things that I'm going through, they're not my fault. They're somebody else's fault. I would encourage you to even prepare yourself now at the end of the service to say, nope, I, I, I need healing. Not that other person needs healing, that situation needs healing, the circumstances need healing. I need a touch from God today, and I'm going to come forward and receive prayer. Because you've got to take responsibility for your actions and their consequences.
Let's keep reading. Verse 12. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Mm. Now the man who had been healed didn't know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Did you catch that? 38 years he hasn't walked. Who did this? And he did not know who it was. Like, don't you think if you hadn't walked in 38 years and someone said by the very word of his power, take up your bed and walk, and you just rolled it up and walked away, you would turn around and go, can I grab your email? I'd like to drop you a thank you note. Or, like, you know, I don't even need your address. Like, I'm not going to do a handwritten things, but just, can I grab your name? Just your name. This guy doesn't even turn around and say, thank you, much less ask Jesus' name. You see, for those of us who are addicted to self and self-absorption and self-pity and me, myself, and I, and nobody likes me, everybody hates me, I'm going to eat a worm, we have a real problem with being thankful. We have a real problem with being grateful. We would rather live in ignorance and not gratitude. We'd rather live not knowing how God helped us or came alongside us. We'd rather live not paying any attention to the ways in which people have supported us and carried us and been around us, loved us in spite of ourselves. We just ignore all that stuff. This man ignored. He ignored Jesus. He he ignored this man who just healed him instead of being grateful and showing gratitude. Simply the point of application is just to be grateful. Be grateful. I know people who keep a gratitude journal. Can you believe that? Whole book where they just write stuff down that they're grateful for. It's a great way to learn how to be grateful. And I'm not just talking about God here. Sometimes it's easy to be grateful to God. God, thank you for this food. Thank you for the ways you bless me. Thank you for my family. Thank you. It's sometimes easy. Not all the time. Not all the time. But sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's even more difficult to acknowledge, I need other people in my life. And I'm grateful to these other people. I'm grateful for these other blind and lame and paralyzed who didn't get healed today but have shown me friendship and community for the last 38 years. I'm grateful for those who have taken care of me when I didn't have food to eat and go around and say thank you to those because he didn't do any of that stuff. Didn't even bother to find out Jesus' name. You know what's interesting is... um, For those of us who have grown so addicted to self, so addicted to self-focus and self-aggrandizement and self-absorption over the years, I recognize that the likelihood is this morning, I'm fighting a losing battle with you. (laughs) Because our first kind of natural reaction is simply to deflect and say, no, that's not me. No, that's not me. I don't know if you've heard it before, but denial ain't just a river in Egypt. You know what I mean? Like, that's our first line of defense. That's not me. That's not me. I'll I'll be honest with you. If your first line of defense this morning is that's not me, it probably is. It probably is. If you think back on the last two or three most difficult things that have happened in your life, 
And I ask you, whose fault were they? Who's to blame? Whose responsibility? And your first line of defense is someone else's. Probably talking to you. If you think of your kind of current life struggle, what's, what's most pressing right now, the things that stress you out the most and the things that are most difficult for you, if I asked you, what can you do about it? And your response is, well, if that other person would just, or if so-and-so would just, I'm probably talking to you. And, and the only person that can change you this morning is Jesus. Just like he's the only person that could change this man in John chapter five. The only person that could say, take up your bed and walk. I can't do that. I'll be honest with you, it's far more difficult to change somebody who is addicted to self than to say, take up your mat and walk. Even Jesus said that. He said, it's far more difficult to forgive sin than it is to say, take up your mat and walk. But Jesus has the authority to do both. So my prayer is the Spirit of God would convict you and draw you to himself this morning. And one way that you can open the door for him to do that in your life and heart is just to start by being grateful. Stop blaming. Stop deflecting. Stop throwing yourself a little pity party with confetti and everything else because you're the only one that's invited and you're the only one that's having fun. I guarantee you that. And choose to be grateful. Let's keep reading. It says, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Just so you know, Jesus is not indicating when he says, sin no more, that something worse may happen to you. He's not indicating that this man's uh, physical situation was a direct result of his sin. He may be, but the likelihood is he's not indicating that. What he's talking about is something eschatological here. In other words, hey, your behavior and your actions subsequent to being healed are demonstrating that you have not changed your heart or your heart has not been changed. And if that doesn't happen, that worst thing that's going to happen to you is separation from God eventually and eternally. So stop it. So something worse won't happen to you. Jesus just straight up tells him, confronts him. Stop it with your self-absorption or something worse is going to happen to you. Something worse than being crippled for 38 years. So the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. Now we encounter a second group of people that are completely self-absorbed. This man was completely self-absorbed and now we encounter the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the scribes, the keepers of the law that were completely self-absorbed, so self-absorbed, listen to what they do. This is crazy. Listen to what they do. Track with me here. John 5, uh, verse 8 and 9. Go back to verse 8 and 9. Look what happens. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. He took up his bed and walked. Now, the Pharisees and religious leaders, for them, the Old Testament law wasn't quite enough. They added like 700 plus additional laws to the Old Testament law. And specifically speaking, when it came to the Sabbath, what they did was they said, okay, the Old Testament tells us on the Sabbath, we don't work. But what does work really mean? What is work? So they divided work up into 39 different categories. Can you believe that? 
39 different categories of work. Like if we spend the next hour trying to do that, I bet we couldn't come up with 39 different categories. One of the categories, for instance, is you can't spit on the Sabbath because if you spit on the ground and it mixes with the dirt, it's going to make clay and that is work and you can't do that. No spitting on the Sabbath. Another thing that they said was you can't pick up your bed and carry it on the Sabbath. You can walk on the Sabbath. You can pick up your bed, but you can't do both. You can't pick up your bed and walk around with it. So this wouldn't have been a problem if it wasn't the Sabbath day. But it just so happens that that day was the Sabbath day. When we read the text, we should hear that, you know, that sound that they play in like the thriller movies, like the real tense movies, bum, 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 like that sound. That's what we should hear. Now, that day was the Sabbath, and so the Jews get ticked. The religious leaders get ticked, and instead of looking at this man who's just been healed after 38 years of inability to walk and going, what the, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Who did this? This is wonderful. Let's celebrate together. Dance a jig. This is wonderful. Instead of responding that way, look what they say. Next slide, please. They asked him, who's the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Who's to blame here for breaking our laws? Not even Old Testament law. Our laws that we added to it. Who's to blame? They were so angry. Listen to what happens in verse 16. This was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. He just healed somebody, and they're persecuting him because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Listen to how self-absorbed the Pharisees are. The Pharisees were so self-absorbed, they loved their customs more than they loved God's mission. They loved their habits. They loved their patterns. Church people, I know I... You may feel like I pick on you a lot. I, I, maybe I do. Maybe I do. And uh, sometimes I feel guilty for that. And then I read the Gospels and I think, oh, Jesus picked on church people. So I guess I can too. Um, and as I've read the book of John, even as I studied the book of John, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the keepers of the law, they are not painted in a positive light. And in this particular case, John does not paint them in a positive light either. They were so in love with their own customs and habits and patterns that they fell out of love with God and they fell out of love with his mission. Because you can't love two things at the same time. You can't love two contradicting things. Church people, I'll be honest with you, we do this. People who have been in church a long time, and I've been in church a long time. We do this. Because people come in our doors all the time and they're looking for healing. They're looking for a touch from Jesus. And when Jesus asks them, do you want to be healed? You know what their answer is? Yes, I do. That's why I'm here. And Jesus heals them. I, I, I know guys in this room that have, that have been healed of, of an addiction to a substance instantaneously because of Jesus' word of power in their life. I know people in this room that have been healed spiritually and relationally because they have come to Jesus in humility. And when Jesus says, do you want to get healed? They say, oh, yes. And I just submit myself before you and I ask for your healing power in my life. And then church people, instead of celebrating that healing with them, we look at them and say, yeah, but do you know all the songs yet? Or did you know that that, one, that one's better with organ than drums? 
or yeah, I, yeah, I know that you've been healed from that, or but that that skirt is not long enough, sir. Uh. <laughs> like we we pick on people, and we miss out on, on God's miracles and His mission. But listen, listen, because we've fallen in love with ourselves. That's it. That's it. That's the answer. It's not more complicated than that. Like, we love ourselves, just like the Pharisees did. We love our customs. We love our habits. We love the same chair that we sit in every Sunday morning. We love the little Bible studies we go to. And that's great. I love that you love that. That's awesome. But when you begin to miss out on God's work in the world, just like the Pharisees did, something bad has happened in your life, and you have been rendered incapable spiritually because of your choices No one else is to blame, just you. You own it. Let's finish the text, and then I want to talk about what we do. This was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now. And I'm working. Next slide. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. See, this is where we're headed. We know this is what's coming. Jesus is going to be executed for this kind of interaction. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God, lest we're confused as to who Jesus believes he is, claims to be, and demonstrates that he is. I want to close with uh, one comment and one question. Here's the comment. Um, This man who's laying at this pool, believing in a superstition that something might heal him, angrily responding to Jesus, as D.A. Carson would say, the crotchety grumblings of an old and not very perceptive man. Did he deserve anything from Jesus? Nope. Blamed others. Wasn't grateful. Angry, self-absorbed. Pay close attention now because this is the God that we serve. Jesus still healed. Did you catch that? Jesus still healed. He deserved nothing. He earned nothing. He wasn't like this official at the end of John chapter 4 that we just studied last week. They came to Jesus and said, uh, just, if you just say healed, I'll go back and I'll believe that my son is healed. He's not that guy. But Jesus still is gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Can I let you in on a little secret, men and women? We don't deserve squat either. We don't. It's not just others who are addicted to self. It's us. It's not just others who deflect responsibility and blame. It's us. It's not just others who are ungrateful. It's us. It's you and me. And Jesus still intervenes. Aren't you glad that's the kind of God we serve? Aren't you glad that's the kind of God we serve that came after you while you were yet a sinner? I am. And here's the final question. Simply this, do do you want to get healed? (laughs) Do you want to get healed? Not just from that physical ailment, because a lot of us would say yes in whatever physical thing you're dealing with, 
But that spiritual ailment, that relational ailment, that financial ailment, that uh, pattern of sin in your life, do you want to get healed? I was reading a Bible scholar this week, uh, just about an hour before I had lunch with somebody here from Bayview Glen, and the Bible scholar said this, 10 minutes of hard introspection and honest thought regarding this question will will push you to deeper levels of repentance than you've ever dreamed. Do you actually want it? Because self-addiction is easy. Self-focus is easy. You don't have to take responsibility for anything. You're always right. It's easy. Do you actually want to get healed from that? At that lunch that I just mentioned, I... I was sitting with this guy, and he asked me a very pointed question. He didn't mean to point out any sin or flaw in my life or character flaw. He was just asking a question out of curiosity. And it was one of those questions where, <laughs> you know, it, no one may know that thing about me, you know, the, the way that that kind of opened up sin in my heart and my kind of squirrely motives, that question that he asked me. But if I keep behaving in that pattern... Like, I'm going to get good things from it. Like, I'm not going to tell you what the pattern is because you're going to hold it against me and email me, but I'll, you know. But I had to face the same question. Do I actually want to get healed from this? Do I want God to change me? Do I want God to restore me? Because you know what? I like me some me. (laughs) I struggle with that same self-absorption too. Do I actually want to get healed? Same question for you. Do you want to get healed? 10 minutes of introspection and hard thought regarding that question will push you to deeper levels of repentance than you've ever dreamed. My invitation to you this morning is to get honest with God, maybe even get honest with somebody else, and come to Jesus for the healing that only he can provide. Here's what we're gonna do to pray, or close. I'm I'm gonna pray and as I do that, a few prayer partners that we've talked to beforehand is, are gonna stand and come forward. Uh, the band's gonna come out and play a closing song. And as they do that, I would invite anyone, whether it's a physical ailment that you're struggling with, come forward. If it's a spiritual ailment that you're struggling with, come forward. If it's a relational ailment, emotional, emotional ailment, mental health, whatever it is that you're struggling with, come forward and answer that question with the affirmative. Do you want to get healed? Yes, Lord, I do. And let us pray for you this morning. Let's close in prayer and then we're going to continue to worship through song. And as these uh, folks come forward for prayer this morning and then we'll close. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you that you still heal us even when we don't deserve it. Thank you for your presence in our life at all times. God, in these next moments, as people come forward to receive prayer for whatever it is they're dealing with, would your hand of mercy be upon them? Would your presence be very real to them? And would you hear the prayers of your people as we call out to you for holistic, comprehensive healing of all of our brokenness? In Christ's name, God's people said, amen. Let's continue to worship through song. Prayer partners, if you would stand and come forward. And just as the band plays, I invite you to sing. And if you would like prayer, please come forward and receive that now.